Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome in to another edition of the James Sports News Podcast. I am Bennett Conlon, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. Jack, we are one week away from game week. Are you ready? Are you ready? I'm amped up. Are you ready? I would say I'm ready. Fall camp, you've progressed the way you want to get to. You've progressed through fall camp, and you've gotten to where you need to be. We've made progress. Look, I'm I'm not satisfied, okay? We're not satisfied, <laughs> but we are progressing the way that we like. Um, wait, that was such a weird comment from Kurt Sigley where he's like, we're doing everything we want to do, but, like, we're not satisfied. Not enough, though. <laughs> like, uh, okay, I understand. Looking at Kurt, you're doing everything. Well, what else do you need to do? Some great coach speak, no doubt. Yeah, uh, Bet Online is your number one source for all of your betting needs. Get the latest odds, lines, and matchup reports for baseball, boxing, golf, and more. Bet Online continues to be the fastest and easiest way to place your wagers, including live betting and your favorite casino and card games. Bennett, what's your favorite casino and/or card game? Hmm. Dude, maybe just a standard slot machine for me. <laughs> I'm, I'm blackjack. I'm blackjack. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, uh, they're all all of that slot games, blackjack, whatever you want is available to play from your phone. Head to the website today. That's betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up. And when you sign up with our promo code, believe B L E A V, scrolling along the bottom as well. You'll get a fifty percent welcome to you'll get a fifty percent welcome bonus on your first deposit. So use promo code BLEAV when you sign up. Bet online. It's where the game starts. Heck yeah! One of our many supporters this year. We also have three notched once again contributing. It's shocking that they were like, you know, who we want to partner with again? Us. And, what are the and, chances? And some awesome stuff coming in the uh, this year at Bridgeford from Three Notch. I don't know if we can say it, but I just it's going to be pretty soon, high. right? Well, I guess the games will start soon, so then we're certainly in the clear at that point. But um, didn't you get yeah. it? Yeah, you have it in your house right now. Does that? Yeah, so we're we're basically in the clear with, yeah. with that. But we're super excited about Three Notch having them on board. We love their beer. We will be visiting there, I'm sure, many times. Uh, across Virginia throughout the fall. Yeah, as of right now, we'll have a live podcast recording at State Weekend in the Three Notch Valley Collab House uh-huh. uh, tap room. So we'll be doing that. Time hasn't been nailed down. A specific date, I'd imagine, will be the Friday evening before game day. Uh, but we probably still have to figure that out um, and all of that good stuff. But yeah, I mean, I'm going to try and get up to Harrisonburg for a game before App State and uh, drink my body weight in duke of clouds and pour some sick shandy on me i love that for you yeah it's not healthy for my liver and we're also sponsored by christopher william jewelers 
There's a reason Christopher William Jewelers has been voted best of Virginia year after year. It's not just one thing that sets us apart. It's everything. It's the selection, extensive and unmatched, with every engagement ring, loose diamond, and fashion jewelry chosen for quality and brilliance. It's the service. From our diamond experts to our master goldsmith, our team shares a passion for what they do, and it shows. It's the atmosphere, both glamorous and laid back. See for yourself why people can't stop talking about Christopher William Jewelers in Harrisonburg and we cave so when they say picked for brilliance do they mean like picked uh, like who's the smartest diamond or maybe the most shiny <laughs> uh, all right how do you want to start today's podcast we have a lot of stuff coming we do up. have a lot uh i think this is our most packed episode probably probably we should have like figured out uh how to like sprinkle in this content over a few podcasts, but you know, we said, screw that. We're going to put it all into one. Yeah, there was a, a risky decision by us, but one that I think will be engaging for sure. Yes. A lot to talk about, a lot to talk about, a lot to talk about. So we'll start with a little bit of camp talk, uh-huh. which will take us into quarterback talk because that's where everything naturally uh, dissolves into and then we have an awesome interview with Grimsley High School's head coach, Daryl Brown, also just so happened uh, to be Alonzo Barnett's high school coach. I mean, when we picked to interview a random high school coach, it just so happened that it was Alonzo Barnett's uh, high school Got coach. Got lucky there. Yeah, Got lucky there. Really sure, lucky yeah. there. Um, but no, it's an awesome conversation with him. He really breaks down Alonzo's play style, his mentality, uh, and what he was like in high school. Uh, and, and I think that's the closest thing we can get to what we could maybe expect. QB1 still hasn't been decided, but a great discussion with him. And then we'll go our game-by-game game breakdown after that, and then we will wrap things up with an awesome interview we had earlier today with Greg Medea, beat writer, UVA, Greg. Daily Progress. Ah, Greg Medea, former JMU beat writer. It was awesome. I think I've said awesome way too many times here in the first six minutes of this podcast. Uh, it was a great time talking with him, uh, giving us insights into UVA football and just being able to kind of talk with Greg, something we haven't been able to do in a few years now. He's one of my favorite beat reporters, and I follow a lot like across sports and across different levels. Just so steady, so solid, right? I feel like he says yes to like every every <laughs> interview request, and he's just – very good at what he does. We certainly miss him in Harrisonburg. He's doing a great job for the Daily Progress covering UVA, and I'm looking forward to uh, his coverage of that game for sure, but then the, his coverage the rest of the year covering sports in Virginia is really phenomenal. Yeah, I'm excited to hear about his trip to Nashville for UVA, Tennessee. That'll be an interesting one for sure. All right, so JMU Camp Chatter. I don't, th- <laughs> I don't know that I've... Really, so camp is over, right? Camp ended on Tuesday. They have a couple practices. It sounded like Thursday, Friday, that I guess are technically not camp because classes have started, which yeah. I think is how camp works. Yes. I don't know that I know anything more about this team than I did when camp started. Very limited, like, knowledge gained, I would say. I, I would I would agree with that. We came in with a few major questions. Um, I think you could talk mostly all of them were about the quarterback. We yeah. didn't really know who was even – we didn't know if it was – we, we kind of knew it was a two-man battle based off of the Sunbelt Media Day comments from Signetti. Um, 
But like going into it, it was between McLeod and Barnett. And we thought we'd get some sort of clarity by this time in camp or post camp. And we now know it's either Barnett or McLeod in Noah's article today that he posted kind of as a fall camp recap. I did say that Signetti wasn't really uh, allowing questions of the quarterback position. Um, we could probably have an entire podcast and, and see if like a competitive advantage is actually a real thing or not. But apparently Signetti and the JMU football program stonewalled any questions you could even think about having on quarterbacks, which I think is just kind of uh, insanity. Uh, but we, we don't know that question. And what other questions did we have coming into this year? Wide receiver, we learned that Taji Hudson will probably contribute. Um, <laughs> Reggie <laughs> Brown isn't as good. I learned there were injuries uh, specifically to the secondary, which I will say scares me quite a bit because this is a secondary that we wanted to get more reps in camp. We wanted the secondary to have a little bit more uh, cohesiveness, a little bit more continuity. Uh, and it seems like the exact opposite actually happened. But I do know a hell of a lot about Devin Coles. They they have like little injuries though, right? So nothing serious, which is good. Um, UVA's got some guys that um, are dealing with like some legitimate injuries. Doesn't seem like JMU has any like long-term or, or anything like that, which is good. But I don't really know anything. I don't know like who the backups are at defensive tackle. Um, I have no idea what the cornerback rotation will be other than what I already knew of like Coles, Logan, Austin probably makes sense in that room. I don't know what they're going to do with the three starting safeties. I don't know who the new long snapper is. I don't know if Camden wise has gotten more consistent as a field goal kicker. Um, I, I don't know if Kalon black is 100% healthy. I don't, know I think he's health. healthy. I don't know if Tyson Lawton will be ready to go week one. I don't know if that was unclear. Back, yeah. yeah, I don't know if the running back room, how that like carry is going to split because apparently you have three guys that are all extremely good. I don't know is Latrell the 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 go to back and is Kalon the one that's going to get the big plays. House tight. Like, the, the, do they have a competition at kick returner or punt returner? Like, I literally don't know anything compared to the start of camp, which is insanity. Kind of surprising to me. But it, it makes it hard to know what we're going to expect. Like the two deep, like you, if you study a bunch of other programs and sort of like their camp reporting or whatever, you can pretty much like know the two deep. I feel like the two deep might be more revealing than anything we've heard in camp in terms of just solidifying certain things. And then we're going to have the Bucknell game will end up actually being incredibly insightful for a number of reasons of quarterback, of course but then a bunch of other positions because we literally don't know anything from camp, in my opinion. I mean, I, I still think that we're going to leave the Bucknell game with a just massive question mark over the one question we want an answer to. Like, I, I, I've I, changed my tune there. We'll have to – might be okay. time for our quarterback. I guess we can just dive into quarterback chatter now. I mean, there, there's so much around this. You've done some deep diving into stats, into things to kind of contextualize – how crazy it'll be if Barnett wins this competition. But just to kind of set the stage yet again, McLeod, Barnett in a quarterback competition. McLeod balled out at South Florida. He got better year. He got better from year one to year two. He goes and transfers to Arizona, a Pac-12 team, uh, plays really well against UCLA, ends up breaking his knee and ankle, and he really hasn't played football for nearly two years 
He's facing off against Alonzo Barnett, who's a redshirt freshman. Seems like they kind of pocketed him last year to keep that redshirt, so he'll have more college eligibility. Uh, and that's where we are. It's a competition between the two of them. Yeah, it's they haven't. Um, I don't think Kurt Zanetti has uttered Jordan McLeod's name in August. Well, publicly so, in August. I'm sure. I'm sure behind the scenes he's said Jordan McLeod, but he, he has not said it publicly this month. I don't think. You know what was a really interesting, I think, offhand comment from Greg. I don't know if he said it during the conversation or post. it was after. But like when he was like, "Oh, he'll hint at it, though." No, no, sorry, but, that one was during, and then he had made another one after. Yeah. Okay, but like he said, he'll hint at, and we kind of know Signetti is this. He tries to play mind games and whatever it is. But like with with Greg saying that, it did kind of make me realize, oh, all of these Barnett name drops are hints that he's going to start Week One. I feel the same way, right? He last scrimmage, and he mentions the passing game has improved. He mentioned one quarterback name, and it was Alonzo Barnett. So if he doesn't start Alonzo Barnett because of the way the narrative is shaping out, if Jordan McLeod starts and struggles at all yeah. against Virginia, Troy, Utah <laughs> State, South Alabama, everyone is going to want to see what Alonzo Barnett looks like. It's also what QB Spotlight Stephen Hamner talked about earlier a few episodes ago, where if you do have this quarterback competition, you need to leave them on a long leash. And the way right. he's kind of positioned specifically Jordan McLeod, if McLeod is the winner, JMU fans won't let that leash be long. Yeah, I would say that April me is very surprised that Alonzo Barnett looks like he's going to be the starting quarterback. But like Shit, July me. July me is shocked. But August me, August 23rd, would be stunned if it's Jordan McLeod now, based on what we've heard. Like, unless something changes here in the next week, Alonzo Barnett, based on the comments, right, we don't have Again, we really don't have much information. Kind of seems like it's going to be Barnett's team. Okay, can you con contextualize that? Because yeah. it, it is he is a red shirt freshman with no starting experience, with one pass attempt that probably wasn't meant to be a pass attempt. That was probably supposed to be a handoff, but somehow the <laughs> play came in wrong. And McLeod threw, not McLeod, excuse me, Barnett threw the ball. So, like, can you tell me how insane it is that a team that the fan base believes is a top 25 caliber team, a team that the fan base and honestly the coaching staff believes can contend for the Sun Belt East, how crazy is it that they are going to start a red shirt freshman? I mean, it's insanity. His one pass, we've got one career pass attempt. It was in the last two minutes of the game against Norfolk State last year. So again, like kind of weird that they were throwing it. But like that's his only pass attempt. He completed it for 14 yards. But surprising that you would have a quarterback who's only had one career pass attempt start. So I did some some digging here, right, given the, the idea that JMU is this elite program and i think you could sort of debate sort of what elite means but the group of five level they look like a pretty solid team last year and i thought this was just interesting in general 51 teams appeared in the ap top 25 that's so that's a lot of teams <laughs> so i know jv fans are like top 25 got in the top 25 for a week that doesn't mean like you're one of the 25 best teams in college football because 51 teams at one point in the season 
um, either preseason or, or later in the year were in that poll. Of those teams, so obviously JMU is one of the 51, there are 50 other teams. So I went through, and a lot of the quarterbacks are kind of well-known for these teams. Other ones, like the team has announced who the starter is, there's only like three or four that are in JMU's boat of like people don't know who the starter is, which is kind of fascinating in general. We're talking about the competitive advantage. It's like, well, if every team has named a starting quarterback, I don't think that like it's actually a competitive advantage. But anyway, I guess you could argue the flip side. But 50 teams that were ranked in the top 25 last year. Of those, none of them plan to start a freshman or a redshirt freshman at quarterback in 2023 with, I think there's one exception or at least one battle where there's a freshman in the mix, but he's not expected um, to be the guy. So there's, there's 50 teams. None of those teams are looking at freshman or redshirt freshman. Two of them are definitely going to start true sophomores. So guys in their second collegiate season, which is the same uh, as Barnett, obviously a little different. These two guys are Drew Alar, I believe it is, at Penn State, and Cade Klubnick of Clemson. Both of them, former five-star recruits, both of them played significant snaps for their respective Power 5 team last season. Both of them are viewed as like either Heisman candidates this year or in the future, or like NFL draft picks. So it's like upper echelon, like coming out of high school, this guy was a stud and now plays for an elite power five team. Both of them are in the AP top preseason top 10 this year. Those are your like second year in a college going to start and uh, Alonzo Barnett, it looks like. Like that's insane. And I don't mean to diminish Alonzo by any means. He could very well be our week one starter. And if he is, he there's a potential he goes down as one of, if not the best JMU quarterback. I, I'm not trying to argue that part. I'm not trying to diminish him when I say this. He was recruited to be an FCS quarterback. He was recruited when JMU still wasn't 100% sure. Maybe they knew behind the scenes. But from the outside, it seemed like he had been recruited to be an FCS quarterback. Yeah, so he's obviously got a ton of talent, right, to be in the mix with McLeod and, and sort of trending toward being the favorite, especially when teams that are credible, right, these teams that were in the top 25 last year. It's, I mean, it's a list of, like, really good football teams. You have, like, the obvious national title contenders, but you go farther down the list. You look at, like, Wake Forest, which is probably rebuilding. They have Mitch Griffiths, Brett Griffiths' brother, but he's a redshirt sophomore, and, and he played a little bit last year. Other redshirt sophomores... Quinn Ewers at Texas, right? A guy who's just a stud. Drake May at North Carolina is a redshirt. So like to play as a young quarterback for a team that was ranked last season is you have to be an elite level talent. Like JMU is looking to win eight, nine, 10 games, maybe more in 2023 to be only like 19 years old and competing for that job and like trending toward being the starter is unbelievable. And I don't know if it's been framed by the media or fans like that. Like there's this idea that like, oh, Alonzo Barnett in two or three years could be really good. If he starts this year, he's like a star now. He has the potential to have his first FBS pass be against UVA in Scott Stadium. Right. He's never thrown a pass and he won't throw a pass against an FBS team until that game. If he's assuming he's the starter like that's mine but like it's, it's all yeah you're right it is just mind-boggling and like talking with a lot of people around the program it seemed that th- 
this by no means is what is McLeod's job to lose. It's by no means like a clear cut thing and that Barnett has really, really impressed and that Signetti bringing him up, especially yesterday after that scrimmage seems to show that it is going to be Barnett as QB one against Bucknell and against UVA. And that may be the right choice, but it is just mind-boggling why he went out and got Jordan McLeod. Like, there are so many things around this that I can't wrap my head around fully. I think the McLeod thing makes a lot of sense, though. He was pretty good. He's super athletic. I think he would fit well in the system. Like, Barnett has to be having the most insane camp to be beating him out. I still think McLeod's really good. Like, I think they brought him and probably like, yeah, he's probably our starter. And we'll let Barnett compete with him. And then they come in the spring and they were like, wow, he looks maybe, you know, better than we expected. Like, I think Signetti had some comment in the spring about like, it's amazing what a guy does when he knows he has an opportunity to compete for the job. Like I imagine he had like a perfect winter in terms of strength and conditioning, great spring, great summer leading into like a really good fall camp. I don't know. He might just be a, a star and you look at like his high school stuff. And I found some like weird, like preseason stuff that he had posted at one point. And, and we'll hear from his high school coach, but like the way Barnett moves around in the pocket, sort of Russell Wilson, like in the sense that hey. he's not always, he's not always looking to take off when he moves in the pocket, yeah. but he'll move in the pocket and like look downfield, keeps his eyes downfield and then hits these like deep pass plays that are super impressive. He might just be a star, which is crazy. If you're Jordan McLeod, where if Jordan McLeod comes <laughs> in last year, he probably does whatever Centeno did. Like, I think he's a really good player. So maybe he's just, happened to transfer in at horrible timing with like, Hey, this guy's going to be the best quarterback James has ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> it's insane. Cause like, it's crazy. It, yeah. I uh, do you want to head on over to our conversation with Daryl Brown, head coach yeah. at Grimsley. Let's do it. Yeah. We talked with Daryl Brown earlier this week about, um, about Alonzo Barnett's high school career, what he did there, kind of his play style and what JMU fans can expect out of the redshirt freshman if he does win the quarterback one competition. It was a really great Joining conversation. Joining us, Daryl Brown, the head coach at Grimsley High School. Can you take us through, I guess, when Alonza played for you and, and sort of what it was like coaching him? Yeah, we had Alonza um, the last two years of his high school career here at Grimsley. And um, during his time, he lost one game. So, um, you know, I've always told people the best thing that you can say about him is he's a winner and um, he finds a way to win. Um, he obviously has a tremendous skill set, um, understands the game really well. But, um, you know, he's such a people talk about how nice of a young man he is and that kind of stuff. When he puts the pads on and gets between those white lines, I used to call him a, a silent assassin. I mean, he would he would rip your heart out um, <laughs> to win a football game. and um, he, he was tough, physical, and just the, the ultimate competitor. When he was with you at Grimsley, uh, he's in the middle of a very intense QB battle with Jordan McLeod at Arizona transfer, and now he's jostling for that QB one spot, potentially being the starter in just about 14 days. Was he ever in a quarterback competition with you all at Grimsley? No, I mean, when we had him, I mean, he was our guy. You know, I mean, that was pretty <laughs> obvious. I mean, if you have two guys like him at the high school level, then you really got something. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, he was clear cut, our leader. Um, 
you know, and, and the guy that um, was going to lead our football team during that stretch. And uh, part of that run was during the COVID time when things were really difficult for a lot of people. And um, I think you really, he, you know, we had several guys, but he was one on our team that you really saw his leadership during that time, keeping our guys together um, when we couldn't do stuff with them. Um, he was getting them together on their own, doing some workouts and throwing, that kind of stuff. So um, he loves the game. And again, like I said, he's a competitor and he's a student of the game and, um, you know, loves to get after it and play. Yeah, you, you mentioned his play style. Can you take us through that a little bit? As we haven't actually had a chance to, I think he's thrown one pass in a JMU uniform and, and we've heard the reports from practices are impressive, but the fans haven't actually had a chance to to see much of him. What are some of the strengths of his on-field game? Well, I mean, he, he really understands the game. I mean, he has a great understanding of what defenses are trying to do. And that goes back from, I mean, with his dad, I mean, and the, the training that he's had growing up and, um, you know, that he's been put through a lot with a lot of different people. So he has a great understanding of what defenses are trying to do, which for a high school kid and we had him is, is a luxury because you don't get that a lot of times. Um, so I know he, I know even there at JMU that, He's doing a, a lot as far as, you know, watching film, meeting with his staff. Um, he's just different. I mean, he, he lives and breathes football. So um, he's different than any other kid I've ever had come through here. And then, you know, on the field, as far as his physical tools, I mean, he's got a tremendous uh, strong arm. Um, he's very accurate with the football. Um, I think now, I know toward the end of his time with us, and from what I hear up there, you know, he's even better now kind of, being able to make all different types of throws. There was a time where he was going to throw that thing through a wall, you know, I mean, no matter what. So <laughs> now he's got a little touch and different things. But, um, I mean, I've always said when Alonzo gets on the field up there that I think it'll be hard to get him off because um, he just finds a way to get the job done. And, um, you know, he makes the guys around him better. So um, I'm excited for him, and I hope he gets that opportunity. You mentioned – him throwing the football we all we've seen from him like Bennett said are these you know hype videos that are coming out so there's four second clips of him throwing a football and each time we see it Bennett and I are just wildly impressed by his spiral like it is such a tight quick release tight spiral so I gotta ask did that come to high school or did you teach that into him no when, when, like I said we got him his junior year and when he came here I mean that stuff he had already, you know, kind of been working and developing. I mean, he spent a lot of time in Atlanta with Quincy Avery and some guys like that that are well-known quarterback trainers. But him and his dad, I mean, probably from the time Alonzo was, I don't know, 11 years old, um, have really kind of went all in on the quarterback deal. And, um, I mean, he he's year-round working at, at that um, craft. Um, you know, so it's something that's been years in the making for him, but he does have a quick release. He does throw a really good spiral, a good ball. Um, but, um, you know, I think even stuff I've watched when he's there, I mean, he's obviously just cause he's getting stronger and stuff. I mean, he's even better now, obviously. So, um, he's worked years for this opportunity. I always love talking to high school coaches about players who go on to play in college because, those guys typically have some some super impressive high school stories. I was curious if there were any individual performances or games that really stand out with Alonzo where you're like, wow, that guy was a, a star. Well, there's a few, but um, <laughs> the, first, the first game that he played for us, um, 
we didn't really, I mean, we knew he was a tremendous talent, but we just, you know, you don't, you don't really know how it's going to be until the lights come on, obviously. And it was during, um, here during the COVID year, we played in the spring. So, um, our first game that, that season was on a cold, uh, Friday night in February and we were on the road and, um, everybody had canceled their games in the state or, or played them on a Thursday. Um, because it was about 30 degrees and it was raining sideways. And uh, we were actually playing on a turf field down uh, towards Charlotte. So the school we were playing at played. And um, that night was some of the worst conditions I've ever been a part of anywhere. And um, he went out, threw a couple of touchdowns, and then made a huge touchdown run um, in the second half where he ran over a defender and got into the end zone. And uh, we kind of knew right then that we were dealing with somebody different. You know, and then the rest of the way, I mean, he was much the same. Um, the bigger the game, the better he played. And um, he had a game like that in state semifinals against a good Butler team out of Charlotte where he made just some unbelievable throws when we were backed up in our own end zone. Um, and then our, like his senior year, the conference championship game over at Northern Guilford, they were undefeated. We were undefeated. And um, that, that whole night just – scramble, run, throw, whatever we needed. And we won 42-36, come back late. And um, he picked up a huge first down late in the game with his legs to run the clock out. But just all those things go back to what I talked about at the beginning. He, he would not let us lose. Um, he refused to let our football team lose. And um, you could see it in his eyes. You could hear it in his voice. And, um, again, just the ultimate competitor. That's awesome. If if Alonzo's named that quarterback one uh, and for week one or more importantly, I guess week two against UVA when Jay goes to Charlottesville, what are you most excited to see out of him when he does take over control of the offense? Uh, well, whenever he gets that opportunity, I mean, I, I, I know how hard he's worked to, to you know, have a shot. And um, I know he's still young, too. So, I mean, redshirt freshman and. There's not many redshirt freshmen starting quarterbacks anywhere in college football. So, um, you know, but if he gets the opportunity, I know he'll be ready for it. So I'm just excited to see him be able to perform and, and do what he's, you know, been trained to do and what he's worked for. So, um, and, you know, I've, I've made a comment here multiple times and I kind of touched on it a little bit earlier with you guys. I feel like whenever he gets that shot and he gets on the field that it'll be really hard to take him off, you know, because – He's a winner, and um, I don't know any coach anywhere that don't want to win. So he's the kind of guy that, um, you know, finds ways to win, and, um, you know, you, you can't beat that. Yeah, I think you're speaking the coach language when uh, I think Signetti understands exactly what you're saying when you say all Alonzo knows how to do is win. I think that's a big reason why he's probably still in this quarterback running and giving Jordan McLeod everything he can handle. And from some reports, it seems like Barnett's now the leader in the clubhouse. Um, that's awesome. I mean, I'm happy for him. So I've talked to him a little bit. I talked to his dad pretty regular. So, um, you know, I know, I know, um, I knew he was in the hunt and he's in the running there. So, um, you know, like I said, I know he's going to work hard. If, if they go with him, that uh, I think they can make a good choice. That's awesome. And the last question for me, I was just curious, I guess, what, what kind of offensive scheme you guys had with, with him. It sounds like he was able to do a lot sort of running and passing. I was curious what the the philosophies were that he was, he was working with in high school. Yeah, he had some good talent around him. I mean, we had a tight end, H-back kind of guy that now plays at Northwestern University. 
Um, he was a real good player. He had two outside receivers that were, you know, Division two type f football players. So that's pretty good at the high school level as well. And then we had a running back that's playing junior college ball now. But we, we were a spread offense, um, just basically what you see, no huddle. Uh, not necessarily up-tempo, had the ability to be up-tempo, but did a lot of scanning and checking with the sideline to try to get in the right play. Alonzo would have some flexibility at times to um, get us in something, um, if need be, that you know, maybe he saw out there. That was good. We obviously trusted him. But, um, you know, we, you know, RPO base, did a lot of RPO stuff, and then obviously had some design quarterback runs in as well because um, taking advantage of his legs. Not that he was necessarily, um, you know, would actually outrun people, but Alonzo did a great job of, you know, he could run through tackles. He was strong. He was physical and getting the yards that you need. And the best thing he does is manipulate the pocket. Um, when we had him, um, you know, if protection broke down, he hardly ever got sacked. He was able to kind of had a great presence of what where pressure was coming from and being able to manipulate and move out of out of that, and then create with his legs or or make a throw down the field. Some of our best plays was. You know, when we had a concept called and protection broke down and then Alonzo would scramble and pick up 20. So uh, he just has a great feel on the field and the game seems very, very slow for him. And I know probably the more he's been up there and been around and um, kind of caught up with everything, it's probably slowing down for him up there as well. So um, it's a great opportunity for him. So I'm, I'm hoping that he gets that shot. That's awesome. That offensive scheme seems a lot more fun than what uh... – Bennett and I's high school ran. Um, I think Bennett <laughs> said his high school ran a wing team. Mine ran wing a team, yeah. option. I think we threw <laughs> yeah. three passes my entire high school career. So uh, that sounds I, a I, lot I, more fun. I was a high school quarterback and I was in the wing tee as well. So <laughs> in my first few years as an assistant coach, we were a triple option team. So I understand all that for sure. Yeah, it was a Quarterbacks take a lot of hits in that, <laughs> that system for sure. <laughs> But uh, thank you so much, Coach Daryl Brown, head coach of Grimsley High School, taking the time out of your day to talk a little Alonzo Barnett and that QB competition happened up in JMU. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Run through a brick wall. <laughs> That's what I'm about to do. I just know that uh, I went into that conversation not fully bought into Alonzo Barnett. I left that conversation letting him be the quarterback of the Seattle Seahawks. When I found some of his like high school tape, some of it looked like scrimmagey kind of stuff. The offensive line stuff is very true. Where he's like, sometimes the protection broke down. Looked like it broke down every play. Yeah. I, I watched his huddle highlights <laughs> because I was putting together a reel for our Instagram. And I, I put over one of his answers, just like highlights of Alonza in his senior year. Every time it seemed like he was either stepping up in the pocket, avoiding yeah. a free blitz, like, yeah. And apparently Jamie is struggling with protection, which I feel like is maybe a made-up storyline that will go away in a couple of days. But uh, nice to have a quarterback who can move. And I think either guy, McLeod and Burnett, are both going to be able to get out of trouble, which is huge. Yeah, and I think not not much changes with our game-by-game -game prediction depending no. on who is the quarterback. But before we get to our game-by-game -game prediction – it's time for this week's edition of News or Snooze. Bennett has two quotes that he'll run by me. I'll say if they're newsworthy or snoozeworthy, and then I have one to throw at Bennett. Okay. First one right. here. Okay. Kind of an easy one for you. Okay. But uh, this is from Kurt Signetti after the second scrimmage. We had a lot of question marks, I think, in our passing game. I'm pleased with Barnett's progress at QB. We've News. had some receivers step up. 
news. That is definitely news. Uh, Signetti likes to drop hints at who the quarterback is. He did it all of last camp with Centeo, even though Centeo wasn't named until minutes before the kickoff of the opening game against Middle Tennessee. Uh, we all kind of knew, one, just based off of pure talent and kind of seeing the videos and everything that came out, but also throughout all of camp, Centeo was the name that kept coming out of Signetti's mouth. It wasn't Billy Atkins. It wasn't anyone else on that roster. It was Todd Centeo. And now this season, it hasn't been McLeod at all. It's been Barnett. This one time, uh, he never mentioned McLeod. The only thing that we thought he did mention McLeod was that he values experience. Uh, if it comes down to, like, if they are both in a dead heat, he would lean the experience over it. But it seems like they're not in a dead heat right now. And then Tyshawn Wyatt, unprompted, said Alonzo Barnett was doing great. You put all of that together, this is an extremely newsworthy quote, and I think it, I think it is his way of saying that Barnett is going to be the starting quarterback. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that makes a ton of sense. Want me to hit you with the second one? Yes. Again from Signetti. Tonight, the defense was shorthanded. We had a couple corners out with soft tissue. They'll all be back Friday and Monday. They're not long-term injuries. But my question, can, is it newsworthy, snoozeworthy, that some of the corners, including, I think, some of the top corners, have, have dealt with some soft tissue stuff? I think it's, I think it's kind of newsworthy. I mean, this is, this is a coach that it seems like all camp has been talking about how they're working to limit injuries. They didn't tackle in the first scrimmage. I'm unclear if they tackled in the second scrimmage, but in the first scrimmage, they weren't tackling. And I believe the quote Signetti used was to avoid soft tissue injuries. And like, he's been very adamant about things like that, that they don't need to tackle because they're a little bit of an older group so they can avoid these injuries. And now you're saying half of the secondary didn't play in the last scrimmage because of injuries. Seems like something kind of wacky is going on behind the scenes not behind not wacky that 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 makes it sound like <laughs> that makes it sound bad but like theory. like it's just weird that the secondary is having these issues definitely tough at corner too because that's a, a young spot where you think every practice rep would be yeah super beneficial i think on the plus side the no tackling kept him out of like a dude tearing those acl so like chauncey logan maybe having like a slightly slower sore slightly sore <laughs> hamstring that's a tough, yeah. that's a tough thing to say folks slightly is, sore is not as bad as like you know a broken knee obviously ankle. like yeah shattering his leg so yeah. i think from that perspective it's good he said they have no long-term injuries which is really really solid but yeah it's definitely tough if like you really want to rep those guys also seems easier probably if you're a receiver to like quote unquote step up if you're going to get like back up. we've had a lot of guys step up and you're going to get on an unrelated note all of our corners yeah. are injured. now uh yeah our quarterback too in the second scrimmage was uh jack fitzpatrick uh, his his <laughs> 62640 was a little bit worrisome but man did he not do well but like it, it's also i think we talked about a little bit earlier this is the this is the group that you wanted to not only get the reps, but like understand the chemistry. Cause I feel like so much of the secondary is understanding when to pass guys off. It's when to kind of feel your zone. How does the person next to you play their zone? How do you then play your zone? If you're playing man and you have different responsibilities where you're passing a man off, like how does all of that work? And I think that was a big, bigger issue than necessarily talent last year was that it was a completely new secondary 
and they were hit by the injury bug last year. Uh, Austin missed an extended amount of time with injuries. Logan was kind of banged up to start the season, and that's why he wasn't uh, the cornerback one or two last season. So it is worrisome that they are injured going into this year. I think it's also interesting. Like I know Virginia's offense was terrible last year, but they do have some like promising talent at receiver. Yeah. Malachi Fields is like six, four and really good. They got, I think Malik Washington's a Northwestern transfer. who's was super productive. So UVA's offense has like decent skill guys. So that'll be interesting. The offensive line for UVA is a, a major worry, but if they can like keep Tony Musket upright, UVA's sec, I mean, JMU's secondary is going to, going to need to, you know, be locked in against those receivers. Yeah. You ready for my quote to you? Yes. Quote from Signetti after the second scrimmage. Quote, we got areas we got to improve, starting with protection. News or snooze? I'm snoozing this one. I think I think it was interesting, but it was also one that, like, I'm not buying that their offensive line is, like, a concern. Like, he might want it to improve in terms of, like, oh, we didn't pass protect the way we want to. I'd, I'd argue the newsworthy part possibly – is that the defensive line did a nice job getting pressure? That seems like a, a very positive Ooh, you're thing. You're going the inverse. I of just what can't he imagine. Said. It's like, oh, the offensive line that like would <laughs> help Jamie lead the conference in scoring offense last year returns everyone on its two deep. We can't pass protect. It's like that. I'm sure you like you want better than what they did, but like I know they can pass protect and run block. So I don't think that's a real a real concern, but interested to see if the D line's actually playing at a high level. Cause that'll be huge if, if they are. Yeah. Love that edition of news or snooze. That brings us to our game by game breakdown this season. We just posted this full article over on JMU sports news.com JMU football 2023 season prediction. We won't spoil the ending. Uh, Bennett, you did the first six games. I did the write-ups on the last six games, but for this let's rotate I don't yes. think we'll change that much, but you start with uh, week one game by game predictions of this upcoming season presented by three notched. Yeah. You want me to uh, set them up and then you, you show them out. I guess we can just talk quickly about each game. Each one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Bucknell. I think we both probably agree as a snoozer. Yeah. We can just go to game two. Okay. The UVA game. Pretty fascinated about this game. We'll talk to, we'll have Greg Medea's, um, segment here in a little bit, but I don't think Virginia is that good. I think it's a winnable game. It's also not like a cakewalk, which I feel like maybe um, some fans are kind of hoping they, they do have UVA does have some talent at certain spots. I just, I really feel like JMU has a better overall football team. I think we'll really see the type of team JMU is in this game. So yeah. UVA has a really good defensive line. We'll see where JMU's offensive line is. Mm-hmm. Um, I think defensively, the offensive line for UVA is, you've said it, Greg says it, it's extremely worrisome. It's the weakest point on that team. So how much pressure can a defensive line generate without blitzing? How much pressure can they get when they're only pressuring with four, maybe even three? Like you can kind of see how good that team is there. And then you can see how good the secondary is against talent. Um, you can see how good the linebackers are. Like, I think this is a, a spot where by no means, like you said, is this a winnable game? Um, excuse me. This won't be like a 
cakewalk of a game, but it's yeah. a winnable game and a game that if they do win, you can really point to certain areas and be like, that is a good sign that the offensive line only allowed one sack. Yeah, I think it's a fascinating one. The other point I wanted to make, I feel like there is, at least for me, I kind of assumed with this being the first home game for UVA since the the tragic shooting, that emotional lift would be huge. I think it's a super emotional game for the players and the community. Um, I think just playing the game is, is probably going to be healing. It's also the second game of the season, so there's there's the fact that they'll have played then. I don't think that actually impacts the possible result much, and, and I was interested to find um, that Virginia Tech, their first game, I think, what, 2007, after that spring shooting, they actually lost to East Carolina at home. I don't think it it is going to impact like UVA's chances of winning the game. I think the the story there is really just that they're playing and back on the field is really what matters. I don't think the the outcome is actually that tied to that at all. I think also with them playing in Nashville against Tennessee week one, and that's the first game back to me, I I think think coming back is more important than necessarily playing at home. Um, If it's JMU UVA in week one at home, it might be a little bit of a different story, but with all that being said, for the first time in 40 years, the Dukes are going to take it to UVA. Yeah, I think JMU's going to win. I just think the roster's a bit better. I think UVA has a chance to improve, but it might be later in the year. I think JMU also has the better coach. I would agree with that. Staff. I think JMU's staff is better. Um, all right, moving on to game three. JMU heads to Troy. Troy, one of the best teams in the Sun Belt a year ago. They were 6-1, though, in one-possession games. So you have to – and that one loss was the App State Mary, <laughs> which is really hilarious that they were one batted ball down from being 7-0 and in one-possession games. But you got to assume that will regress back to the mean, which is about 500. Um, so how good necessarily was Troy? I'm not here to disparage them. They were a really good team. They were one of the best defenses. But what, do you, what what's your thoughts on this game? I think Troy is going to be really good. I think they're going to be a bowl team. I don't think they're going to repeat as Sunbelt champs. I could see them going like eight and four, seven and five, and still being really good. Uh, I think this is one that JMU can win. I guess some of my concern for the Dukes would be the fact that if if it comes true and they beat, beat UVA, a road trip the week after that huge emotional high to a really good Troy team is a challenging spot. Yeah. Um, I agree with that. I think this is a game that we'll also know a little bit better after the UVA game, because I think UVA is going to be a true barometer where like if JMU goes in and wins by two possessions against UVA, then I think they can handle their business against Troy. JMU ekes out a win three points, four points, five points, whatever it may be against UVA. I think they'll have a little bit more difficulty with Troy. Um, South Alabama, you have, oh, excuse me, I just completely skipped Utah, Utah State. <laughs> State. Um, like you, I'm not that high on Utah State. I don't think they are pegged to be serious Mountain West contenders. I also don't think the trip out West is all that big of a deal because they already did it in Weber with this same coaching staff with heck, half of the same roster because of COVID rules. But like, I don't think it's necessarily that big of a deal that they have to go out west in in terms of it's not necessarily new to them. They know the logistics behind it. And I think because of that, they'll handle their business against Utah State. I think what Signetti complains about a decent amount is I guess they get back so late from that that he's frustrated with maybe how it affects the next week 
But I would agree, right? It's not like they're flying overseas. Like it's a trip to Utah. It's it's within the United States. And you They'll can be stay on a plane. On, stay on your rhythm. Like you don't have to go, you don't have to land there and be like, all right, guys, turn your clocks back two hours. I mean, the smart thing to do would be like to stay on East Coast time. Yeah, it seems I don't know. It seems doable. I think it's also kind of cool that they get the chance to go play out west. And I know Jamie talks about like branding all the time, but to play Mountain West schools is is kind of cool and nice so i'm kind of with you there i don't think the trip out west is like can't win they're playing a couple hours away <laughs> ah shucks <laughs> um i think the weaver state travel was probably going to be probably more difficult than utah state yeah because i believe weaver like involved like a three-hour bus ride or something there's a lot of weird stuff there this one seems like it's probably a little easier i also don't think utah state's all that they don't seem right at least like i know weaver state typically was one of the best like most well-coached FCS teams. Weaver State beat Utah State 35 to 7 last year. So <laughs> <laughs> so that brings us to South Alabama. Um, I think South Alabama has the potential to be one of, if not the best team in the Sun Belt, but I won't steal your thunder here as you are very high on the Jaguars. They return so many starters. <laughs> like everyone who like mattered to them comes back. And then Troy is like, oh, Troy returns Gunnar Watson at quarterback. It's like, Okay, he's actually hasn't been that great in his career. Carter Bradley, pretty good. He's a pretty good quarterback for South Alabama. They've got really good running backs. They return a ton. Like they're well coached, similarly to Troy. I don't know. They seem kind of terrifying to me. That this is this is a South Alabama team that nearly took out UCLA a year ago. <laughs> like they, I don't know. They could have like New Year's six aspirations the other thing too is their schedule i think it's what do they play they play at oklahoma state and then i think they open at tulane yeah so they'll have played two really good teams on the road like i don't think going to harrisonburg on family weekend is going to be particularly terrifying and also signetti mentioned the travel back yep he's already setting himself up to have the excuse on in case <laughs> they lose like that they got it he um i was listening to this the other day just a little aside at his post-game ODU press conference after that win is one of his best performances <laughs> of all time. He's like, look, Centeo wasn't 100% against Louisville. The plan was get in there. We knew it wasn't going well. Get out and win our last three. So it went according to what? <laughs> we wanted to get our demolished in the second half against the Cardinals. It was a pretty, pretty funny performance. So you, you have this as a South Alabama win. Correct. I do. Like I think South Alabama is scary. You also you only have it as a one possession loss. I, I have a hard time seeing them get blown out this year. Yeah, they might I lose agree. by like fourteen or something, but I don't. I don't see them getting smoked. That leads us to Georgia Southern. Uh, a little bit of a revenge game in Bridgeforth Stadium. Clay Helton has to bring his squad to the good old friendly city. Signetti said that in the offseason they were going to use that game as like a case study because they got schematically just like embarrassed. He's um, not wrong. Yep, he's not wrong. They've talked a lot about like wanting to stop the run, right? And that's like how they scheme things up. You don't really need to do that against Georgia Southern. <laughs> like you have to stop the pass. So I'm hoping they change that up. I think a bye week in advance helps. I think they can win this game. I don't think Georgia Southern is going to be good defensively. It, it feels like, right, that revenge factor they'll end up winning. At the same time, I do think Clay Helton and that offense is kind of terrifying, even even with different personnel in terms of, like, I think they're going to score 30-plus a game this year. Can I say a hot take? 
Yes. I think Clay Helton might be the best coach in the Sun Belt. He's a good coach. Like maybe not, maybe not defensively, but I think his offensive mind is just like so far and away better than everyone else um, that he scares me no matter what. I don't care what his talent is around him. He scares me. He's a great coach. This next one, Charles Huff, darn good coach for Marshall. Short week on the road Thursday night, ESPN or ESPN2. What are your thoughts here on, on another revenge game or is Marshall a little too good? I think JMU gets the revenge they need in this one. Marshall didn't blow me away last year. Mm -hmm. um, that was a game that, and I know JMU fans, and I say it all the time too, we would have won that game if we had Todd Santeo, right? Like we would have had that game if we had me at quarterback. That game <laughs> had everything. We, we threw four interceptions and had a fumble lost. Yeah. And they only beat us by a little bit. Like, there was a chance to win that game late. Yeah. And then Marshall goes ahead and loses uh, two of their defensive linemen. And then a few guys on the back end, they lost a linebacker, uh, two linebackers, a defensive back. So they, their defense kind of got hit a little bit. And that was the strength of their team a year ago. They lost their running back, Kalan Laybourne. Um, you got to assume that whoever their uh, quarterback is next year. Cam Fancher is, is projected. I, I say that because he wasn't necessarily all that fantastic last year, but he's a redshirt freshman. He was a redshirt freshman. Hmm. And uh, he's going to be a redshirt sophomore. So you got to assume there's a little bit of progression there out of him. But with all that being said, I think JMU wins kind of a slugfest type of game, 21-17. This one might be, to me, the scariest one. I think Marshall's going to be good. I just keep, I feel like they keep being underrated. They still have, what, Owen Porter on defense. I think the defense will be solid if, and it seems like maybe a big if, but if Fancher can take a step, I think they've got a chance to be really dangerous. Yeah, but I could argue JMU is going to take the exact same step they are going to take, and I think JMU was already two steps ahead of them last year. It'd be, it'd be a great um, win. A Marshall fan is going to find that soundbite of me saying that JMU was two steps better than them last year and just blast me on Twitter. I'm also interested. I feel like depth at a couple of spots, maybe like corner and defensive tackle are, are reasonable questions for JMU. How are they looking in mid-October health-wise? Not only mid-October, a short week. This is a Thursday yeah. game. So, I mean, yeah, that is tough. That's the first ever Thursday midweek game JMU will have played in the Sun Belt, um, which is a much different beast. Uh, this it won't be the first time for Marshall. Uh, that brings us to ODU. Love this one, right? It's like a, what do they always say in the NFL when they have the Thursday game? They're like, oh, we have uh, a mini buy. A mini buyers, yeah. <laughs> so stupid, but whatever. Jamie's got a mini buy here. Perfect time for the mini buy. <laughs> so stupid. So they got one, right? Perfect time for the mini buy, as people like to say. Perfect time. Uh, I think ODU. I was looking at this. I think they're going to suck. Like, I think they're going to I thought you were about to say you thought they're going to be good, and I was going to be like, Bennett, we need to get you checked out. No, I out. think people are talking, like, opening night or whatever. They're like, oh, I wonder if they can, like, hang with Virginia Tech. No. They're like, their ODU looks horrible. They have one of the least talented, if not the least talented roster in the Sun Belt. Yet they have the defensive player of the year. Which is insanity. Like, they have that him is. and nobody else. They look terrible. They're starting a Fordham transfer who's thrown 13 career passes. What? Well, we can't talk, man. Correct. We can't talk. Alonzo Barnett might start. He has one career. No, but you, you don't. We didn't bring in an FCS transfer who didn't start an FCS okay, school. It's, or like, hey, that's a, it's a great point. Extremely confusing. Maybe he's good. Maybe Grant Wilson is good. I think ODU is going to be horrible, though. 
like two or three wins kind of bad. I think this is a blowout. You had a hilarious <laughs> pre- prediction in the article. Why don't you tell everyone what you think will happen? 55 to 3. What was last year, 37 to 3? Something like that. I don't think ODU is going to score a touchdown. I don't think Kurt Signetti is going to take his foot off the gas because it's at home. Great spot for a blowout win, though. I, I would agree with that. Honestly, it's like a mini buy into a bye week with ODU because then you're going at Georgia, at Georgia State. Maybe I'm too high on them, but I think Georgia State has the potential to be near the top of the Sun Belt East and be in contention to win the Sun Belt East. I think this might be it's beginning of November. This might be a kind of depending if, if the season goes to plan how we've expected it. I think this could be almost a de facto Sun Belt East championship. It could have huge Ooh. postseason implications. I mean, this is a Georgia State team. They returned Darren Granger and a bunch of offensive playmakers. And it was a team last year that nearly took down JMU. JMU had to come back from a 27 to 7 deficit. It that 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 lead was kind of built up thanks to a few special teams miscues, but you don't build up a 20-point lead by having a perfectly executed offensive game plan and nothing else going your way. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to need some... And they capitalized, and they did what they needed to do. Granger did what he just absolutely just demolished the JMU secondary, running for a bunch of yards, throwing for a bunch of yards. This is a good Georgia State team. Am I crazy? No, I think they're... That's like the weirdest trap game here. Because last year, what were they, 5-7 and seven or something? Yeah. But, like, And Sean started Elliott, terribly. Like, started, started. Yeah. They were one of the worst teams in the nation. Didn't they lose to Charlotte or something by, like, a point? Yeah. <laughs> in a game that they absolutely should have won that would have, right, then they're 6-6. Six and six, Or if they beat JMU and don't throw that away, they, they maybe get to bowl eligibility. Sean Elliott's had some good seasons there, their head coach. They definitely seem like a team that no one's talking about that could bounce back with, like, a 7 or 8 win campaign. Playing that one on the road after a, a homecoming game where you're probably going to be feeling yourself feels a little trap game like. And yeah, I don't know. I think Georgia State's the team that I'm maybe most intrigued by in maybe the entire Sun Belt. I would agree. I think they have the capabilities to be one of the best teams in the East. And I have Jamie losing that game, by the way. 35 to 30 is what my score prediction is, but I, I think Jamie loses that game. Um, then they go to U- they don't go to UConn. UConn comes to them. All right. Do you think UConn is good? Because last year I think they outperformed expectations. They beat number 19 Liberty. Um, yeah. They return their leading rusher. They return their quarterback one. But they were outscored on average by seven points a game. And they did have a losing record, but this is a UConn team that like hadn't won more than two games in 85 years. So like, are they good or are they like? Eh? I th- I think they're not that great. Schedule's interesting this year because they're an independent. They have like four games that like okay, you should win all four of those games. <laughs> the other eight, <laughs> I don't know. So I I think they're gonna sort of battle for six and six again. I think they're going to be fine. Like Jim Mora seems like a good coach and maybe they're trending in the right direction. Fun fact. It's, yeah. Jim Mora Jr. He coached the Seattle Seahawks. I think he only got three wins and he was fired. One of the only done one of the only head coaches in Seattle Seahawk history to coach just one year. Wow. Well, there you go. Doing a, doing a better job with UConn. It appears. I just don't <laughs> expect 
them to be good. Like, I think they'll maybe threaten bowl eligibility, but because they got to bowl eligibility last year, people are like, oh, they're good. They weren't actually good. They just won six games. I fell into that trap. Before I started doing that game, I was like, this might be a sneaky good non-conference game late in November. And then I looked at it, and I was like, oh, they weren't actually that good, and they actually were outscored by quite a large— When they lost, they got blown out, and when they won, they barely won. I just don't think they have the same like level of talent across the board that Jamie yeah. does. So it would be a, I would say it would be a disappointing loss for sure. But it's you can't look ahead because the next two, pretty fun. So I think JMU, if they can get out of this last two-game stretch of this season, one and one, that's a win. Because this is a tough two-game stretch to finish the season. In theory, these two games, you're going up against opponents that are vying for Sunbelt East spots in the yeah. Sunbelt Championship. I don't know how to say that. I said that in a really convoluted way. but That makes sense, though, yeah. There, there are two teams, App State and Coastal, that are perennially good teams in the Sunbelt. Um, game 11, it's against App State at home. I think there might be a little bit of a revenge factor in here for the Mountaineers, but the issue is they lost Chase Bryce. Uh, they lost their return, their leading rusher from a year ago. And their starting quarterback might be good, Ryan Berger. Redshirt freshman. Redshirt freshman. He might be, though, this might be the biggest game of his career. They're going to be interesting because if they bounce back, I think it'll be great for the conference to have, like, a strong app state because I think, what, they get North Carolina again at some point. They probably got some other other non-conference games. They do a really good job of scheduling in-state teams. North Carolina does a really good job of having all their schools play. Yeah, like I think legislators have also gotten involved. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> you have to play them, which is <laughs> hilarious, but kind of fun. I, I like App State. I think they're probably due for a bounce back. If they don't bounce back and they look kind of crappy again, I feel like Sean Clark's going to be on the hot seat. I still think I kind of like JMU because it's at home, but how do you feel about this one? I like JMU too. I like the, I have them winning by 10, and of course all these yeah. score predictions mean absolutely nothing, but I think that's no, I kind of where we're at though. Like – a late game field goal to make it 10 and then app state with under two minutes, just whatever. Like I think, I think it'll be a one possession game throughout and then just kind of a, a later kind of add a little cushion there. But uh, I think Jamie's the better team from where I look at it right now. I think so too. Game sponsor, Pepsi, shout out dad. Excited about, <laughs> uh, excited about that for sure. Oh, that's the game we're going to be at. That's huge. <laughs> oh, I even made that uh, in, in the jamiesportsnews.com piece. I put, now a lot happens between September and November, but Bridgeforth will be rocking for this game in parentheses, probably because Bennett and I will be there. That's so true. <laughs> we're going to be going absolutely crazy. And your last prediction against Coastal is going to fire some people up. But I don't I, I, think uh, JMU fans. <laughs> I I don't know why, but this game gets me so riled up because I don't think we were that much better than Coastal last year. Like <laughs> they did beat him by forty. <laughs> but like that was with Jamie Chadwell half. I'm sounding like a Coastal fan right now, aren't I? That was with Jamie Chadwell with half of half his body out the door, and they were without Grayson McCall, and they were starting someone I think with the last name People. That's a Madden create a player name. <laughs> that is my dad just texted me. Thanks for the shout out. <laughs> <laughs> but it's Coastal Carolina is a a fascinating team, right? New coach. They still have McCall. 
the JMU fans think they're like, I kind of agree here where JMU fans are like, yeah, we blew them out. We're just a way better program. <laughs> Probably not true. Like with McCall, they're a different team. They're going to improve. It's in what South Carolina, it's not actually near Conway. the beach because they're it's frauds, but yeah, like they were, they were fraudulent last year, but they're not bad. Like when I say fraudulent, they didn't deserve to be like whatever they were nine and one to start, but yeah. um, they're not bad. Like they should be good again this year. 100%. And this will be likely them playing for a spot in the Sunbelt championship. Right. And like you're at home and you can avenge this loss where they were celebrating saying they were the Kings of the East in front of you after blowing you up. But like these last two games, not only are they good teams, but there's this revenge factor in both of them, which is a very real thing. And I think JMU loses one of these two. And I think it's at coastal. I, I think they, they lose by, I put seven. I wouldn't be surprised if they lose by two possessions though. Wow. That, it'll be an interesting game. Another one too, where if there aren't enough six and six teams and there's sort of that idea that they're going to get a bowl, maybe a little less motivating than last year where Jamie clearly had no chance of yes. playing in the postseason. It was a home game to finish it out, right? You're probably not bringing a bunch of Kings of the East signs to South Carolina. <laughs> maybe you are. I don't know. <laughs> just like storing those on the sideline just in case. That that seems maybe a little bit unlikely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So do you want to bring in Greg Medea? Yeah. Yeah. We we talked to Greg about uh, UVA September 9th. We're excited for it. We've tried to give some fans a little insight into what UVA will look like for that game. Uh, I'm sure he'll be busy all over the place on game week. So we figured we would do it now with camp over get those insights, and I'm sure we'll have some other significant UVA coverage and or guest uh, during game week. Very special guest, Greg Medea of the Charlottesville Daily Progress and formerly of the Daily News Record in Harrisonburg. Greg, thanks for joining us. Yeah, Bennett, Jack, your face is to be with you guys. Haven't talked to you guys in a while. Good, Good to see you, though. Yeah, we're we're amped to have you on. You obviously know JMU and UVA probably better than most reporters across the state. So you've got a, a ton of insights there. And I think JMU fans and maybe even Kurt Signetti with some recent comments is kind of looking past Bucknell. So we're we're all kind of eyes on on UVA at this point. So we're excited for your your insights on the program. Yeah, for for sure. Virginia's got a big one before that, though. They they've got they've got Tennessee. Uh, so I, I'm sure the who's are, are all in on the Vols before uh, before getting to that in-state clash, which, you know, should be a great game down the road on September 9th. But yeah, I was going to say, it's, it's, kind of, <laughs> it's kind of hilarious, the difference in schedules where JMU yeah. has an FCS team that was, I think, picked to finish last in the Patriot League, yeah. not even a full scholarship. And then UVA on the other side, they have uh, a Tennessee team that is looking to have a one of the best seasons in recent memory. And it's just like, Oh, what a complete difference. We've already thrown out one game where UVA fans probably haven't even thought about JMU once during this offseason when there's Tennessee first. Yeah, I will I will say I think the Virginia fan base knows who James Madison is built on the other side of the mound, right? Uh, I think there's there's some respect there for, for what James Madison has done, uh, not only in their their final, you know, half decade or so at the FCS level, but also what they did. Uh, last year in their debut season as an FBS member. So I, I don't want to say out of sight, out of mind with, with Virginia <laughs> fans, but uh, certainly the, the focus for, for for the UVA fan base is on this first one, right? It'll be their first game post-tragedy. 
uh, what happened this past November on 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 grounds as as they call it in Charlottesville uh, with the shooting uh, that involved the, the Devin Chandler, uh, Lavelle Davis Jr. and Deshaun Perry. So sad. Uh, it'll be their first game uh, when they play Tennessee in Nashville on September second. So. Uh, a lot of emotion will be going into that one for for the Hoos before they open up their home slate against the Dukes. Yeah, that's that's a great point. I'm, I was interested from your perspective how the team has sort of used that maybe as a, a motivating factor. Obviously, you've got returners, but then you also have some some transfers who weren't with the program that have sort of, I guess, maybe assimilated um, since then. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And, and you don't have to look any further than Mike Hollins, uh, the running back and, and surviving victim. Uh, of that tragedy, right? Uh, went through a ton of, um, you know, stuff in the hospital where where he had to get his his gunshot wounds healed in his stomach and 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 just fight to get back on a football field. Obviously, doctors had told him it you know it might be a few months before he can put his socks on, uh, and you know in a matter of months he was back on a practice field practicing during the spring. Uh, so it's an incredible story, inspirational story, and and I think the team looks at him as as their inspiration in addition. Uh, to to the to the friends and teammates that they lost in in Chandler Davis and Perry, uh, I think Tony Elliott, the the second year coach at Virginia, former Clemson offensive coordinator, he also gained a lot of respect from within the locker room about how he handled everything in in times of tragedy. Uh, last year on the field for Virginia, you know, was, was not great. Three and seven, a lot of changes, offensive scheme, defensive scheme. Uh, the offense, which was exciting, and Bennett, you know this from from covering him a little bit. Uh, you know, was was exciting with Robert and I and Brennan Armstrong and slinging the ball all over the yard uh, there for a little bit. Uh, and, and 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 frankly, last year it, it wasn't. So uh, it was a tough first on on the field year. But uh, when when the tragedy happened, Elliot, you know, he, he he did a really admirable job of leading them through. And, and, you know, they're still dealing with it. Right. It doesn't go away just because a new season is here. Uh, he's done a really good job leading the team. And, and I've had a couple of players tell me that. You know that they, they're willing to play for Elliot. They're willing to run run through a wall for Elliot because of the way he handled everything. And I think that's important to remember. Is as some some new faces have have come into Virginia, some old faces have left. Right, Armstrong's now at NC State. Uh, the Nick Jackson, the former standout linebacker, he's now at Iowa. Some older players that were on that team are are gone. Uh, but but the guys who stayed are, are really, really bought into what Elliot's vision is and and want to play for him and want to get it right, not only for him, but but for the teammates they lost and 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 for Hollins, too, who fought so hard. And then for themselves, who, who've been dealing with a lot, you know, mentally and then, of course, on, on the field too, want to get it right. Yeah, you mentioned a few of the guys who left Armstrong, the biggest name of them all. They brought in Tony Musket, kind of a lot of storylines throughout this offseason around the quarterback position with UVA. What can JMU fans expect uh, for UVA's game against Tennessee, but then also the game against JMU when Tony Musket takes that first snap under center? Yeah, it'll be interesting. He, as soon as he came to Virginia, arrived from in from Monmouth uh, in January, he was kind of atop the depth chart there. It, it, it appeared he'd be the, the the favorite to win the job, but would have to battle for it to to get it. In the spring, there was I don't even know if you can call it a battle. There was a little bit of a competition when when Jay Wolfolk was able uh, to participate in in football. At the time, Jay Wolfolk was was still trying to do both the, the football and the baseball. He's a star reliever for the baseball team. 
uh, and, and he pitched really, really well. He, you know, he's, he's awesome. I cover baseball too. And it's like, you know, you see now, you know, 97 on the gun with the fastball and then a wipeout slider. It's like, you, you know, that, that he's got a, he's got a pretty good shot in baseball. Uh, so he actually made the decision over the summer to, 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 to just focus on baseball, uh, which took himself out of the quarterback competition, obviously. Uh, so must get uh, clear cut starter at that point in the summer, uh, though Elliot, you know, didn't announce anything until earlier this week uh, huh. when when he named Musket the starter. He had to battle a little bit with Anthony Calandria, freshman. But Musket, I, I think what you're getting is somebody with experience, albeit at the FCS level at, at Mammoth, uh, played really, really well there for three seasons, which included a, a shortened COVID season. Uh, you know that that spring year that James Madison played in too. <laughs> Uh, he had played. He had played that spring for for Monmouth. Uh, Fifty-one touchdowns compared to sixteen interceptions in his three seasons there. Two-time, uh, you know, All Big South player. Uh, last year in the CAA, right? Monmouth moved up to the CAA uh, a year ago, and he he said that was. He he had told me he thought that was good for for his development. Uh, a little bit tougher competition in the CAA than the Big South. Uh, now he's making another jump. Uh, from 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 the CAA to the Power Five and the ACC, so uh, I think he realizes he's probably get got to get rid of the ball quicker. He said just in practice, he can tell from from playing against Virginia's defensive line how quick uh, the defensive line gets back there compared to uh, what it is at the FCS level. So that's something to watch. And as far as how he'll perform, right? It's it's as good a question as there is. Uh, when he takes the field in Nashville, he'll be playing against a crowd that I think I I added it up. It's like three and a half times larger than the biggest crowd he's ever played in front of. Uh, so, nice. so, uh, you know, it, it, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how, how, how it pans out, but you know, he, he's mature. He understands the opportunity he has. And it's not like Virginia was his only offer out of the portal. Uh, he had some group of five offers. Missouri was involved as well in offer. Uh, so he wasn't just a, you know, a, a guy looking for a place to play and hoping uh, that he could get an FBS offer. He, he had, he had other opportunities and chose Virginia, chose to play in his home state. Nice to have a coach who names a starting quarterback before September. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, you know, from from covering James Madison and, and Kurt Signetti, he'll hint at it though. Uh, he'll, he'll he'll hint at it and, and tell you how it how it'll feel. You know, I cover you know, the Ben Denucci, Cole Johnson battle and and then uh, what was it, Cole Cole Johnson and I can't even remember who it was a couple couple of years after that. Who was uh, it that next time? Uh, it was, was it kind the... of a job to lose. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, yeah, that, yeah I mean, I think. Spring season, uh, the spring season. In the oh, Gage. Gage. Oh, yeah, Gage yeah, yeah. Gage That's Malone. right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so there you go. You know, he'll hint at it. So I guess whoever's playing better between uh, Alonzo Barnett and um, and the, the, the Arizona transfer McLeod uh, will be who gets that job. Starting to do some Barnett hits, so we'll see if that comes to fruition. I think that was unexpected, but but interesting for sure. I know when when Jamie fans look at UVA, there's obviously excitement about possibly winning the game, but maybe not a lot of knowledge of like where Virginia is strong, where Virginia has some questions. Can you take us through some of those those overarching position groups and sort of where you see strengths and where you might see some question marks? Yeah, and I, I think for the Virginia fan base too, it's like if this team's going to improve upon the three and seven mark that it, that it registered last year, you got to look at that defense and, and particularly the defensive line. Uh, the defense was much improved under John Rodzinski, the coordinator who joined Tony Elliott's staff after being at air force and being the defensive coordinator for the Falcons there. 
Uh, they did a really good job. Lowered the points per game by like seven and a half points. Uh, they only gave up about 24 points per game last year. And they and that defense kept them in games they they probably shouldn't have been in if you watch their offense. <laughs> uh, so so that, that'll tell you something. That defensive line is really good. I, I've covered some really good defensive lines uh, in the past. And this one, this one is, is really good too. Uh, I think, you know, you look at the, the senior bowl watch list came out earlier today, three, three of their five, three of their four starters are on the watch list. So NFL people are paying attention. Uh, Chico Bennett Jr. Uh, is a standout defensive end. He's been a little banged up uh, in training camp, but you know, he, he, he's a player that can absolutely get to the quarterback seven sacks in 10 games last year. Uh, Cam Butler transferred to Virginia had a last season for Miami of Ohio. Uh, really good player, veteran player, uh, sixth-year guy, uh, has played in, I think, 50 career games and started 40-something of them, maybe 40. I'd have to look back at that. Uh, but but he's got 35-and-a-half tackles for loss in his career and can can really do a number of different things. Uh, on the interior, Aaron Famui, Bennett, I know you're familiar with him. He's been around a long time. Uh, Jameer Carter, too, who's, who's an NFL, who's pr- probably an NFL guy this time next year. Uh, could 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 be a factor as well. And then they, they're deep there also. They'll probably play three or four guys off the bench on the D-line with Ben Smiley, Paul Akiri, um, and, and, and Michael Diata. Uh, so that, that D-line is very, very good. And it's it's a D-line, I haven't talked to some ACC coaches, that, you know, is not only good for, for, for being the strength of Virginia's team, but is one of the better D-lines in the ACC and, and maybe even the country if they get the production that they they think they can get this this fall. So that's probably where they're strongest. Where they're weakest, it's the offensive line. It remains the biggest question. They couldn't protect Brennan Armstrong. Part of the reason why that quarterback spot was such an albatross for Virginia last year is because Brennan Armstrong was was trying to get rid of the football and, and couldn't because uh, they, you know they they had defensive linemen and linebackers running and blitzers uh, coming free and taking down the quarterback. His interception ratio was seven touchdowns to twelve interceptions last year, and you can't have that and expect to be be a good football team. Uh, so that's that's got to improve the old line. Uh, they brought in new faces there up front. You got an Anna transfer from Houston. Uh, he'll he'll probably be a starter. Uh, Brian Stevens, a transfer from Dayton of the non-scholarship Pioneer Football League. Uh, <laughs> he's he's in the mix and and probably will be a player for them. Jimmy Chris from Penn State is in too, but he's been banged up in training camp. Uh, so I don't know if he'll be a starter for them, but but somebody that that should help them at some point this year. Uh, up front. And the new line coach is Terry Heffernan, who came to Virginia from Stanford, was part of David Shaw's staff at Stanford. Uh, and I think what he does, I think the biggest difference in 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 Terry Heffernan and the previous line coach, Garrett Touge, is Heffernan's background kind of fits what, what Tony Elliott and the offensive coordinator, Des Kitchings, want to do. And that's be balanced, run that pro-style attack. Touge was a holdover from Bronco Mendenhall era and the Robert and I regime on offense. And that's, that's a different style of, of offensive line play than what Virginia wants to do. So I'm curious to see if Heffernan's background maybe lends itself to some more offensive line success for UVA. I loved watching Bennett's reactions to some of those names you were mentioning where he, <laughs> you could see he remembered them. And then he just kind of was like, oh, yeah, that's going to be that that might be an issue come come game time. The uh, Aaron Famui, I always forget, still has eligibility. It feels like he's been there for a decade. Well, he and he and Butler were the two players who decided to take advantage. The NCAA, after the tragedy last year, ruled that players who had uh, 
who had expired eligibility last season, uh, seniors, excuse me, seniors who had expired eligibility last season could return mm -hmm. for this year. There were only two Virginia players to to take take the NCAA up on that offer. And it, one was Famui, the other was Cam Butler. They're two, you know, two of their better defensive linemen. Yeah, that makes they're, sense. They're, they're, they're like old up front, right? There's yeah. different <laughs> like juniors and seniors <laughs> right. up on that D-line. They're like, you know, 23, 24-year-old guys on that D-line. You know, that, that's that's a that's a grown men defensive line. Yeah. That's yeah, that'll 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 prove to be a little bit of a little bit of an issue. For JMU, because Kurt Signetti at the end of fall camp yesterday said that pass protection has been one of the things that has been his, I guess, one of his biggest issues with the team. So uh, if JMU is unable to have good protection for whether it's Barnett or McLeod, how will this UVA defense attack JMU? They got after quarterbacks and offensive linemen that, that couldn't block them last year. I mean, even up at, up at Syracuse, Bennett had a, a multi-sack game down at Georgia Tech. I can't remember how many sacks there were, but there were like a couple of players with, with at least one sack uh, at, at, at Virginia. So I, I think, you know, that's that's part of their defensive style, though, and their defensive coordinator, uh, John Radzinski. He's going to find the weaknesses. He's a smart guy. Uh, he'll find the weaknesses and exploit. Uh, and if, if Virginia senses that's a weakness, then then that's what they'll do. But that JMU whole line, man, they got guys that, that are still there when I was covering them. You know, yeah, that, I mean, I mean, Nick Kidwell and Cole Potts and Tyler <laughs> Stevens, they, they were all guys who were playing on that during that spring season uh, and really starting to first contribute then. And and then they blossomed into excellent offensive linemen and good players for, for JMU. Yeah, you mentioned the defensive line being old for UVA. I think the offensive line for JMU is also very old. Somehow, some way, they still have eligibility. COVID has has made that quite an interesting thing. It's I, I will say it's pretty significant that, that Kurt Signetti and, and the old line coach there, Damian Roblevsky, have got those guys to stay, right? Yeah. I mean, if, if those guys hit the portal, man, they'd be they'd be sought after, right? I mean, it's it's so hard to find good offensive linemen and to keep them at JMU uh for, for this long. And that's a credit to those coaches. Yeah, for sure. And the the last question I had that I think is always interesting for me as I hear like musket looks pretty good running back room is deep defensive line is really old and then their win totals at three and a half so it's it's hard for me to kind of square I guess what's a successful season for UVA given they do have some talent they do have some question marks you mentioned the offensive line are they thinking it's kind of a a bowl season for them or is the goal just to to make some steady progress in year two with Tony Elliott I think they'll take progress the players would love to make a bowl game though I mean you know, that's, that's the, that's the goal for any college football program, right? When you're, when you're, you know, outside of Alabama and Georgia, which, which has sites set on national <laughs> championships and, and it's realistic for those programs to have the sites set on national championships, you know, for most college football programs, it's competing for a conference title and, and getting to a bowl game. And I've talked to some Virginia players about it and, you know, they, they, they say, of course, you know, that's, that's the, you know, you can't listen to the external expectations. They were picked to finish last in the ACC, um, but I, I think they also believe they they have a little more than what people think. Uh, some of it with all the new faces, sometimes that gets lost in in preseason rankings and win totals, and uh, you know. But I, I think a lot of it will come down to to how well they can fix that offensive line, and and if Tony Musket can protect the football, right? I, I'd mentioned Brennan Armstrong, twelve interceptions last year. I think about the Pitt game; he threw interceptions for touchdowns on the first two throws he had that Saturday. I mean, you, you can't win games when you're down 14 nothing before before you, before it even really gets going. Uh, so and and they, they played closer games last year that people forget about. 
you know, Miami was a four overtime game, 14, 12, uh, just defensive slug fest, offensive disaster type of ball game for both sides, but uh, four overtimes. They played Carolina to three points. Uh, Carolina and Drake man actually did a pretty good job against May. Uh, I think up until then he, he was just carving people up and Virginia's defense did a decent job against him. Josh Downs, not so much, but uh, you know, you, t- you take some and you, you lose some uh, for me. I, I think, I think, you know, with their schedule, it's probably going to be tough to get to six wins, but I do think their defense will keep them in more games than, than people think. Uh, their non-conference schedule is, is very tough with Tennessee, JMU, and Maryland out of the gate. What helps them, though, is is in the ACC, they miss both Florida State and Clemson this year. So I, I think I think that's something that if if, uh, if you're looking at Virginia's schedule and you think, uh, you know, it's it's tough, well, you know, you, you do miss the two big boys in the conference. Absolutely, yeah, that's... That's certainly helpful. The 14, 12, four overtime sounds like a, a grind to cover. So good on, <laughs> good on you for sitting through the whole thing. You know, you, you got to make it interesting in the story though. It, it does, it does make for some interesting quotes afterward. <laughs> I can only imagine sit through a game like that. Quite some interesting the, uh... questions too, probably from the media. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> Quite the turn of events though. They're a fascinating program because yeah, they were all offense, no defense in, in Bronco Mendenhall's final year to go from that to, defense keeping them in games offense not being able to move the ball is a it's a wild twist yeah it's it it was quite the change and, and that was part of the issue last year a little bit for Virginia's you know they had players that had had a lot of success on offense under Mendenhall and Anai uh, particularly Brendan Armstrong and his receivers Dontavian Wicks and Keaton Thompson and uh, and, and play and guys like that the late Lavelle Davis uh, Billy Kemp uh, but it it, it it was a drastic change, right? Going from air raid, you know, a little bit of backyard football with the quarterback uh, to pro style regimented timing precision. Uh, And then you throw in the fact that they didn't have the offensive line, right? They lost uh, some really good players in the transfer portal ahead of last season, mainly the center, Oluola Timmy, who won the Remington award at Michigan, uh, it was it was a tough change when you factor in that for the offense between all the losses and the attrition on the offensive line and and the drastic change in, in system and principles. Yeah, quite the shift, Jack. You got anything else? No, that's it. Just want to say thank you, Greg, for joining us. Uh, before you get up on out of here, uh, can you let fans know where they can follow your work if they're not already? I imagine a <laughs> vast majority of people listening to this podcast already follow you on Twitter, but for the few that don't. Uh, how can they follow along with your work as they get ready for that JMU UVA game? Yeah, at, at Greg Medea on Twitter and, and dailyprogress.com for the stories. You know, the stories are, you know, Charlottesville paper, Richmond paper, Roanoke paper. So uh, if, you, if you find them, you could read them. <laughs> awesome. awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Greg. Yeah, guys, happy to do it. Take care. Thank you so much to Greg Medea for jumping on the podcast and chatting things out, previewing the JMU UVA game. And that will be it for the JMU Sports News Podcast presented by Bet Online. We'll be back next week, next Wednesday at 7 p.m. Uh, breaking down game week, going into Bucknell, and of course, going a little bit deeper into UVA as well. So for Bennett Conlon, my name is Jack Fitzpatrick. You guys have a wonderful rest of whatever day you're listening to this podcast. See ya.
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.